Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor LLC, and I'm super, super happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond. And that is because the human experience is wide and varied. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and we've grown on to our own platform, but we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the July 27th show, Cheryl Cooley. Cheryl Cooley is absolutely awesome, guys. If you missed that show, I need you to Go and look for the replay, and you can connect with Cheryl on social media and on her website, www.climax.com. That's K-L-Y-M-A-X-X.com. And there you can find photos and get the group's upcoming concert tour dates. So if you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay online. Cheryl shared details about her experience as a female lead guitarist and member of an all-women funk band. You can get to the replay by visiting Somewhere in the Middle at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Radio and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the July 27th show, at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Podcast. Now, I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message for us to share with the youth, guys. But it's not just for the youth. We all need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius Is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, you guys have heard this guest on my show before. He's fabulous. He is here to help us with our money. We are we are concerned with money on this show. There is nothing wrong with money, y'all. It's the love of money that can uh, cause us to act up, not money itself. We all need money and we need to get our money under control. So I'm really excited to introduce my guest, Stephen Hutchinson. And you've already heard Stephen share wisdom about life and his own personal journey, as well as his financial 
knowledge and he's just going to share a lot more money wisdom with us tonight. So let me tell you a little about Stephen Hutchinson in case you don't know about him. Stephen Hutchinson was born in New York City in 1959. He is one of seven children who more than survived childhood in New York City. He's a warrior who fights for his integrity and the integrity of his people. Stephen Hutchinson has read hundreds of books, traveled to all 50 states, visited India five times, studied yoga, meditation, and the major religions. He was a Hindu priest for 15 years and is author of Power Thought, A Handbook for Consciousness, and Budget, Make It Now. Stephen Hutchinson is writing his third book, which addresses black entrepreneurship and the psychological warfare that is involved in that mighty endeavor. He has had many business failures, which is the only real way to grow as an entrepreneur and be able to share that experience to help others. He's an entrepreneur focused on building an empire, building a pyramid, building a society of consciousness. Stephen Hutchinson owns and operates PowerTax, which is an income tax startup which he started as a lean startup. He also is a licensed insurance agent who provides financial products and teaches people how money works. Stephen Hutchinson believes that since we live in a consumer-based nation, we need to be producers to satisfy the needs, wants, and demands of our people. All right, so I would like to welcome my guest, Stephen Hutchinson. Welcome, Stephen, to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. In the middle. Glad to be here. (laughs) Well, you've been on my show before, and last time you were here, we talked specifically about tax planning as we're getting geared up for the new year, uh, especially as it pertains to the new tax laws. And this time, what I'd like to spend a little time on is general financial literacy, because one of the things that I think is challenging in all communities across the United States is how we can acquire sufficient funds to cover the nut, so to speak, you know, our day-to-day expenses, but also to go beyond that, growing our incomes, um, uh, using uh, other tools like investments and so forth to really expand and get to a point where eventually we can save for retirement and so forth and then grow our legacy and have something to hand down to our children. And what kind of drove this home for me was a few years ago, there was this article, I think it was in, I think it was where I was, I was on NPR's website. I think it was NPR's website. And they had a chart where they were talking about uh, income in the United States and I looked on that chart, and it looked like I was within striking distance of the top 10% of earners in the country. And I'm like, I don't earn that much money. What's going on? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. If the top 10% of earners in the country are, you know, I think it was something like 105000 dollars a year and I'm going that's no money in the average city in the average right. urban area that's that's no money you like just paint you're living check to check on a hundred thousand dollars a year in the average decent sized city and you know that was Atlanta um, go out to a city like LA go out to New York 
uh, I'm, I would venture a guess to Chicago. I don't know what Chicago's numbers are like. But you get into these really expensive cities, L.A., uh, San Francisco, San Diego, those kinds of places, New York City. Oh, my gosh, $100,000, you're probably living under a bridge. That's all I can figure. Okay. So that really drove home to me that something else is going on here. As far as if that many people, you're talking about potentially 90% of the population of this country not even earning what I consider to be a reasonable wage to just live indoors, forget about living well, just live indoors and, you know, have something to eat. What does that mean for us as a country? And then how can we help to turn this around? What kinds of things can we do? So I would love to hear you uh, talk about those things. All right. Well, for me, here is the, the swooping answer, the, the death nail or the life nail, is that the thing that is missing in that equation and how we got to that position and not only got to that position, but it's being accepted. People are accepting this as a as acceptable, basically. <laughs> People are going along with it. Has to do with a lack of financial literacy. Period. Period. People think the problem is a lack of finance. I argue differently. It's not a lack of finance. It's a lack of financial literacy. And that's how we got in this position in general. The broadest answer is that most people are financially illiterate. And even so, if – yes, go ahead. What were you going to say? The, so, well, I was going to ask you if you can just define financial literacy for us so that we, yes. you know, we're all on the same page with the terminology. We all know what you mean by that. Okay. Now, it, uh, I, I, I've actually been consciously uh, researching and redefining, redefining that terminology for myself. And the essence of financial literacy, I would say in a, in a nutshell, the seed of financial literacy is knowing how to use money, is to know how money works and how to use it, okay? So it doesn't have anything to do with how much money because I believe most of us are miseducated or indoctrinated to believe that the goal is simply to increase money, is to get more money, is to make more money. But my argument is if I do not know what to do with money, how will having more money solve my problem? It will, not, it, it, will, it will be like, uh, as an analogy, if, if I don't know how to use exercise uh, equipment, the solution to my problem is not getting more exercise equipment mm -hmm. or getting better exercise equipment. I want the best, most expensive exercise equipment there is, but I don't know how to use it. Is that exercise equipment going to help me? Nope. No, because I don't know how to use it. So analogously, financial literacy means knowing how to use money, how to use that tool, how to define it, how to utilize it, how to acquire it, 
and once it's acquired, how to increase it, and once it's increased, how to keep it, and once it's kept, how to pass it on to the next generation or to your next loved ones. That, I think, is the, is, is the, is the map. Okay, so let's take those one by one. Um, let's, talk, let's define money. Okay, yes. That's a great one. That's a great one. So if, if we break it down, we can look at it literally, and I've done this. I've asked people, what is money? Okay? And actually, aside from the literal definition of money, like, oh, money is a currency, money is something that you exchange for goods, you know, those kind of definitions, those like academic definitions of money. Once you get past that and you ask a person what is money, you get deeper into their personal conception and their personal perception of what money is. And that's what motivates people. Each person actually has their own inner definition of what money is. Okay? So aside from that, if I were to define money, I would say money is simply a tool like any other tool. There's, no, there's nothing special about it. It is a tool to be used. And just as I use the analogy of the exercise equipment, similarly with a tool, if you give me a, a, a very shiny, excellent, valuable tool kit, but I do not know how to use the tools, again, it will not benefit me. So just having it, just like just having money doesn't necessarily solve a person's problem um, unless you know how to use it. So my definition in this sense of money is, one, it's a tool. Two, if we go uh, a little bit further, money is an addiction. Hmm. Okay, it is an, it's, an, it's an obsession. Practically everyone, practically, I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, I think there's always exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, money is an obsession. It is an addiction. And everybody, of, of course, now I'm using these, you know, pejorative terms like everybody and everything, but I, I understand that there are always exceptions. But I'm just using these words to, to, um, to get my point across emotionally. Because mm -hmm. as human beings, we function most of the time on the platform of emotions. We're not functioning rationally, intelligently, calculatingly. Because if we were functioning in a calculating way, in an intelligent way, then they wouldn't be the top. The top ten percent wouldn't be a hundred thousand dollars. You know what? That would be more like the top ninety percent would be there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If we were actually like utilizing the resources and the access that we have, if I could just limit this, let's say, to America. If, right. we, if we were actually utilizing the access that we have and understanding it and actually making advances, there'd be far more wealthy people in this country. The fact that most people are not is indicative of our uh, understanding um, in relation to money or to wealth. So. 
but the definition being one is it's a tool. Money is a tool. Money is a is a is an addiction, and it's an obsession. Okay, so that we can leave that there for the definition of money. Is that is that cool as a definition? Yeah. Yeah, although, so let's go ahead and, and talk about this whole um, obsession thing. Oh, yes. It, uh, and, and, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, I, I want to bring this up because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, obsession, that seems like a little extreme. It you is. Know? It is extreme. Is everybody, are, are people really obsessed? But then we look at our culture. When, of course, I'm telling my age when I say this, right? Remember, I remember when, I mean, we've always had these shows where people talked about, you know, how fancy people live. But the one that did it for me was, was um, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You remember that show? Uh, yes. And that, I think, was the one that just tipped it over the edge. Because we all used to have the magazines, and we'd look and see, in, you know, Vanity Fair and all these magazines, how rich people lived and so forth. And everybody had their wish books. And then you'd have the TV commercials with the cars and this, that, and the other. But it seemed like things ramped up to an absolutely insane level once that show hit. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that it really kind of shifted the perception of money and how we should all be living at that point in time. And is that, I don't know, like that, that kind of got people thinking about money constantly. Like, I want to be rich. I want to, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and really focusing on money. And it seems like our culture has gotten to that point where everything is about, you know, just those dollar, dollar bills, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. When, when you talk about the obsession, are you talking about it at the individual level? Are you talking about it at the cultural level? What do you mean when you say obsession? I mean obsession, uh, just if, if you look at the word obsession, um, actually there's a personality disorder, you know, which is based on a compulsive, obsessive behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay, compulsive meaning uncontrollable. Obsessive meaning that it just overwhelms a person. A person is overwhelmed with this desire, okay, and it's out of their control. They're not mm -hmm. even in control of themselves anymore. So money has that type of effect on people, or the perception of money has that effect on people. So people are doing all types of insane things to acquire money okay so and their their priorities are completely upside down the number one priority being for most people is money most people have what they call their price that is um that is a concept actually they use in the in like the mob and in the politics and and the, the concept is everybody has their price Mm. They have their price. So if, if everybody has their price, that is, a, that is a manifestation of this obsession that we have with money, which is the wrong conception of money. Because we are obsessed, again, with acquiring money, and the society that we live in reinforces that obsession through the music. It reinforces that obsession through the television shows, through the movies, through politics. For instance... Do you think we could ever have a president 
who is not wealthy? Have we had any presidents from the working class of America? You know, maybe, you know, maybe 200 years ago, 100 years ago or something. But even in our political arena, everything is motivated by money. And the more money you have, the more power you have, and the more respect you can demand from everybody. Because the qualification is just that you have money. It doesn't even matter how you acquired the money. You could have acquired the money through the most vile, um, cruel, evil uh, means and ways, but because you have money, it's going to invoke respect. People are going to respect you, you see. And that, mm -hmm. that's also the evidence and the proof that the people are obsessed with the money. Because why am I respecting you know, Mr. This and Mrs. That and this person who's on television, that person, simply because they have money. Now, if you took those very same people and they had no money, who would respect them? Who would listen to them? Okay. <laughs> you, know, well, you know what that what, what that makes me think of is that I think a lot of people don't understand the origins of this country. They really bought into the notion that the nation was started because of political principles when it was really founded as an economic enterprise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then again, when you look at the statistics, 90% of the population earning less than $100,000 a year, you have to understand that people have a misunderstanding about money because if they understood it, they would not be in that position. We would not be in that position. As hard as people are working, as much as people talk about money, think about money, and try to put on a persona of having money, they are obsessed with the wrong thing. They are obsessed with money itself and the things that money can buy as opposed to being absorb in understanding financial literacy, which gives you the power and the understanding how to use and control money for your benefit. Okay, and that brings us that brings us right to the next thing, which is utilize it. How do you utilize money? How should people be thinking about their money so that they can utilize it effectively? Okay, so the first thing is to get clear within oneself about what we actually, how do we feel about money and how do we think about money? Because most of us are in denial about how we feel and think about money. So if you say to a person, you know, are, are, are you obsessed with money? Practically 99 out of 100 people are going to say, not me. I ain't obsessed with money. Money ain't that important. Uh, you know, money's not that important to me. Okay, how many days a week do you work? Six, you know, six and a half. How many jobs do you have? Two, you know, two and a half, three. How much time do you spend with your children? Well, you know, as much as I can, whenever I can. Why are you spending all this time working? Well, you know, I like I like my job or, you know, this I'm passionate about my work. So then let me ask you this. If your check was removed, would you go to work? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
would you, you know, be happy with your passion and all that? No. So <laughs> most of us are in denial. Why are we, you know, slaving away, literally, being paid peanuts, okay? And I say it's because of the addiction to money. We're addicted, but we won't admit it. We're obsessed with it, but we won't admit it. And therefore, if I'm in denial, I cannot actually see things clearly, nor can I put my problem in the proper perspective so that I could solve it or resolve it. So I think the first thing that I would need to do or we would need to do is to go within and truly understand our feelings and our attachment. That would be my other de definition of money. Besides it being a tool, besides it being an addiction, besides it being an obsession, it's an attachment. It's a very deep subconscious attachment that we have. We're very much attached to money. And, and see, we can understand these things not by what people say, but how they behave. People can say anything, okay? So when we're getting back to the utilization, how to utilize it, the first thing is to redefine it, is to go in, inside myself and truly understand my emotional attachment to it. That's the other aspect of money I would bring out, is that money in relation to its being an attachment is a very deep emotional attachment. Money is a very, very emotional uh, emotional thing with us, but we don't admit it, nor do we consciously think of it as something emotional. But, for instance, a person gets fired from their job. You heard of people going postal? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Why does a person go postal? Because they lose a job, you know, because that was their emotional attachment, and you took it away from them. It's more than just the money. It's the attachment to it. Well, and I'm going to give you some pushback here, Stephen. I'm going to give you some pushback. Truth is, you got to live indoors, and here in the United States, we're not trading chickens for rent, you know, for our, for our place to live. We're not, you know, this isn't an agrarian society where, you know, if you have eggs and I have um, potatoes, we make a trade. It, so there, uh, clearly we have emotional ties, but if I, you know, if I work for, you know, Joe Blow and I make a certain amount of money and that money is keeping me and my kids living indoors, if I lose my job and I see no prospect for any other work, I might, you know, what's to keep me from going postal? I'm thinking I'm, I can't feed my kids, I can't keep them living indoors, I'm I'm more valuable dead than alive. I got all kinds of other things I could be thinking. So I'm I'm going to give you some pushback. What what separates the obsession part from the I just need to live indoors part? And I don't see a way to do it without this this money. What the the difference is that if you weren't so emotionally attached, you'd see other ways. Because there are, there's always alternatives. There is no such thing as there's only one way something can be done. There's only one way I can make money. No, you believe there's only one way because mm -hmm. of your emotional attachment. If you would release emotionally, you would realize options that you have. A sober mind, that's the function of the mind is to solve problems. That's what the mind is for. It just That's all it really is meant for, just like a computer. Computers are really just meant to solve problems. 
Now, you don't have to use it to solve problems. You could use it for entertainment all day if you want, and that's what people do, you know. But you can utilize, uh, the mind should be utilized to solve problems. Survival is a problem. I have to eat. I need shelter. I need clothing. That is a problem that every human being is going to be faced with on planet Earth. And that's why I have a mind. It's to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. But if I'm overly emotionally attached and obsessed with money, that completely distorts my whole process of thinking. I can't think of things in their correct or in their proper perspective because I am overcome by my emotions. And, and, that, and that's not the main problem, is not being overcome by the emotions. The main problem is being in denial of it mm. because then I can't change it. It's just like, you know, having a disease. The main problem is not necessarily having the disease. The, the, the problem would be is if I deny that I have the disease. If I deny it, the disease is going to overcome me. If I acknowledge, oh, you know, I got whatever, I got AIDS or cancer or tuberculosis or diabetes or whatever, if I acknowledge it, I can, my mind will then switch gears and start to work towards solving it. If I deny it, my mind will not work to solve it, period. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's get into how. So how should people use money? Let's 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 go with the basics. I'm earning, you know, twenty five thousand dollars a year, and um, I want to live indoors, <laughs> and and I want to eat because that seems like a good thing to do, uh, and I might even want to have AC sometimes. Uh huh. And I'm not even going to get into whether or not you have kids, because if you have $25,000 a year income these days and you have kids, heaven help you. That's <laughs> all that I can say. But what, what, how should I be using my money? Let's say I'm a single person. How should I be using my money? Okay. So remember, the, the first step was to redefine, okay, to go inside, to, to check ourselves and check our emotional uh, relationship with money. The next step is to redefine money. The world has given you a definition and me and everybody else through these educational institutions, through the political structure, through the entertainment industry. They have defined money for us. You have to redefine money. Redefine it for yourself. What is it? And what do you want it for? You see, you have to put it in perspective. You have to take money off of its altar of something that you are supposed to work for. Because here is the, the fundamental miscalculation that we have and that we are indoctrinated into believing. And that fundamental indoctrination is that we are meant to work for money. Hmm. That is a psychological basis, a foundation for the rest of – now, if I believe that, if I believe I am supposed to work for money, many other conclusions will follow right after that. The first thing, if I am working for money, who's in the superior position, me or money? Okay. 
So you put the money in the, in the driver's seat if you do that. Exactly. So now money is on the altar to be worshipped. Money becomes the deity. I am looking for it. It's just like if you say, you know, I work for Wawa or I work for Walmart or I work for this boss. We're always putting ourselves in a subservient position to that thing that we work for. Okay, so that equation has to change. You want to know how to utilize money. The first thing is you have to change that equation. Okay, that, and that's psychological because our physical behavior is merely a manifestation of our psychological beliefs. What we believe, our beliefs are, are like, you know, limitations are like chains or like a cell, like a, like a prison cell. I live in the prison cell of my beliefs. Mm -hmm. and, and I will only act according to what I believe. As a matter of fact, a person will never attempt to do something that they don't believe they can do. So if, I, if my relationship with money is based on that psychological and emotional reality, that I have to work for it, I, I have just set myself up uh, for a very, very, very long, exhausting battle because I'm working for money, okay? So now, if I'm working for money, what does it mean to acquire this thing? What does that look like? If I'm working for something, once you get it, what does that look like? What is that I'm trying to get? If when I say I'm working for money, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm working for the paycheck at the end of the week? I'm working for, you know, the money I work for the month or the money I work. What does that mean? You see, even though I may be deeply ingrained with that, it actually has very little value. So what, what it is I'm working for has to become clear. So in order to understand how to utilize money, I say the first thing we have to do is redefine our relationship with money and take money off the altar and understand that money is a tool to be used by me, okay? And, and then what I would do is shift that understanding from working for money to putting money in its proper perspective and understanding money has to work for me, not me working for the money. The money should work for me. I'm the master, not the money. Otherwise, in that other relationship, I'm the slave and money is the master because I'm working for the money. Okay? Right. So, and now, if I switch that equation around and see money as a tool that's meant to work for me, now I become the master. Once I become the master, then money takes on a completely de different definition from what I have been indoctrinated to believe. So the, the, the first thing in how to utilize money has to do with first defining and cl clearly understanding my relationship with money, redefining my relationship with money, and putting money in its proper place, which is where it should work for me. And then from there, 
we can proceed with some practical applications of that. One of the practical applications would be that if I make $25,000 a year, and I know that, I have this data or data, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, mm-hmm. if I have that, then, and I have some financial literacy, I know I need to live below my means. If I only make $25,000 a year, I should not create a formula whereby I spend $30,000 a year or $25,000.25 or that I spend 25000 Actually, I need to figure out how I can live below my means for a period of time until I can tame my personal economy so that it's working for me. I have to create some kind of buffer between what I spend and what I make. It's just like in any basic business calculation. In your business, you want to spend less than you make because you want to make a profit in your business. So if a person is financially literate, they can then come to the platform of viewing their personal life like a business from an economic perspective. So you want to run a profitable business, a profitable personal economy. And one of the most fundamental ways is by spending less than I make. And and, and one method to spend less is to decrease one's expenses. That is, uh, that's one of the most basic formulas for a business. I, I believe it's some type of accounting principle in business that says, <laughs> okay, Mr. Businessman, if you want to make more money, one of the easiest ways to do it would be spend less, decrease your expenses, work on that. Of course, you can also, in, you, the, you, the other equation would be you increase your revenue. But many people, especially people who have jobs, don't really have many immediate options to increase the amount of money they make because the amount of money they make is not under their control because they work for somebody else anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so that control is under somebody else's control. And chances are they are not as enthusiastic about increasing your wages <laughs> as you are. <laughs> okay, so they're like... Yeah, because- they want to decrease expenses because they have business. Exactly. And you are an expense to them, right? Even though, but mind you, you are also a revenue source to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be paying you. So right. the equation is, if somebody's willing to pay me $25,000 a year, the question I should have is how much is that person making off of me? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause right here for a second, Stephen, because Mm -hmm. I want to have some announcements. But we're going to be right back with Stephen Hutchinson in just one minute. Hey, folks. John Kane here with Exponential Cash Flow. If you've ever had a money challenge in your life, meaning lack of money, then I think my company can help. 
We teach average hardworking folks how to successfully invest in the financial markets. You don't need a lot of money, which a lot of people think opposite. And we teach folks from teenagers up to senior citizens, so anyone can learn. If you're interested in learning more, then all you got to do is go to exponentialcashflow.com and give us a little information about yourself. And in return, we're going to send you a free ebook on how the professionals do it. Plus, we're also going to give you a free personalized investment strategy session. And if you happen to own a business, we'll give you a free business growth strategy session as well. So go to exponentialcashflow.com. Hey guys, it's me, Michelle Berard, host of Somewhere in the Middle and founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. Are you feeling like you're stuck and can't move forward? Have you been struggling to birth a big goal like a book or a business? Are you feeling overwhelmed and looking to make changes in your career? If you're at all like me, when that deer in headlights feeling hits you, you just don't know where to begin. Yeah, you can talk with friends or family, but when you're in need of an objective opinion, it helps to speak with someone who's prepared to listen and to provide practical guidance to help you move forward. That's where a coach comes in. That's why I'm so excited to share with you that energy worker and coach Julia Black and I have teamed up to help you get unstuck and start moving towards your goals again. And to make it easy for you, we're offering a complimentary call with one of us to help you start moving forward. All you have to do is go to WeRiseMovement.com to schedule your free insight and inspiration call with either Julia or me. The insight and inspiration call can help you get clear about your goals, uncover hidden challenges that may be hindering your progress, discover steps you can take today to move toward accomplishing your goals, and you'll leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take action. Visit WeRiseMovement.com and schedule your free insight and inspiration call today. That's WeRiseMovement.com. Okay, we are back with Stephen Hutchinson, and he was sharing with us the formula of decreasing expenses, increasing revenue, and that what I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is that we should each of us be thinking about ourselves almost like a little business, right? Like that's the way, and, and this is what I always said, you know, when I was married to my first husband, I said we were very good at the business side of marriage. We, we did the business part well. We did the managing the money well. We did the increasing money well. We did the investing well. We didn't do the relationship side particularly well, but we did that part just great. And that's the part I think, though, that what I'm hearing you say is is the part that's so challenging for us as individuals and probably as couples, as families, is recognizing that we can apply some of those same basic business principles uh, of decreasing expenses and increasing revenue to our personal lives. Um, am I hearing you correctly? And, and if so, you know, how can we improve on that? Absolutely. That, that is correct. Because remember, decreasing my expenses automatically increases my revenue because there's a relationship between and expenses. Like I always like to say is revenues is good news. 
okay? Mm. Revenues is good news. Okay? You want to give me some good news? Give me some revenues. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't need any other kind of news, fake news, whatever news you're talking about. Just provide me with revenues, and that's my good news. So, but to understand the relationship between revenues and spending, there's a direct relationship. Spending, at the end of the day, if you do a uh, an income statement, an income statement is a very simple thing. Anybody can do it. Okay, businesses do it all the time, of course, but most of us, you know, because of our emotional obsession with money, we don't do the calculation. We're just obsessed, and we're working hard, and we're getting upset, and we're complaining, and we are, you know, disappointed, and when we hear bad news about the economy and about the, the stock market and all this, and we just get totally frustrated, and we never sit down and actually do the, do the math. Sit down and do the – because sitting down and doing the math requires a, a, a stable mind, requires a balance. It's not, that's not an emotional activity. Emotion, emotionality just means that I'm always reacting. Reacting. Oh, I heard this. Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, they doing that. Oh, they do. This is reaction. Okay, so there's, there's a, a, most people are reacting, and as a result, they don't make any progress. But if you get down to being proactive, you can either be reactive, active, or proactive. You know, just being reactive leads to actions that are responding to whatever I heard or whatever I felt. If I sit down in a sober way and begin to make the relationship, if since I am, you know, I want money so bad because I think, you know, money is going to solve all my problems, all right, well, sit down and figure, figure out a formula. Figure out a goal, a plan, and a strategy. That's how you accomplish anything. There's nothing. I mean, how does a you know how does a person build a building, build a house, build a city, build a bridge, you know, build an app? The same process. They create a goal, they create a plan, and a strategy to execute. It's the same thing with money. If I want money, I need to create a goal because just wanting money is a completely unidentifiable obsession. What does that mean you want money? Well, you know, you got money. You got money in your pocket probably. You, you got a paycheck. What are you complaining about? So we have to clarify what it is that we want in relation to money. That's why I talked about the definition, us defining money, us defining our relationship with money, okay, and then uh, – defining what it is that we want mm -hmm. from money. And, and then here's another question. I'm saying that I want money, but here's a question that I need to answer. Why do I want money? Because if I answer why I want money, I may find that my obsession actually should not be with money. Because really, if you think about it, what we want are the things that money bring. No one wants 
just money. You can't eat it. You can't, you know, enjoy it or have a, a, a an intimate relationship with it. Money is a physical, material thing. That's not really what people want. If they remove the surface, they want, as you were mentioning, they want the security that money will bring. I want a home. I want the ability to travel. I want to be cool in the summer. I want to be warm in the winter. I want to be able to provide the necessities of life for myself, for my loved ones. These are the things that we actually want from money. So money itself is actually not the goal, you see. So mm -hmm. by doing this, we put ourselves in a position of power in relation to money as opposed to being overpowered by money and all the flashy things, just like you were mentioning about that show of the rich and famous. Mm -hmm. People see that. And they are completely emotionally baffled and bewildered because they see that, but then they see the direct contrast to how they live and how everybody they know lives. And right. it doesn't add up. You know what I'm saying? One and one is not equaling two. It's like, how do I get that? You know, how do I have a swimming pool, you know, that's heated in the winter and that's cooled in the summer, you know, in a garage with 12 Lamborghinis and all that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? That is an obsession. That is an impractical objective. That is not what a person making $25,000 a year should be obsessing with. A person who's making $25,000 a year probably needs to figure out how to decrease their expenses and how they can utilize what they have so they can increase their revenue to maybe $35,000. Huh? Then how can they get to $50,000? How can right. they get to 100000 Okay, you know, being worried about, you know, swimming pools and golf courses, you know what I'm saying? When I'm, I'm, I got two part-time jobs, it's just, you know, it's completely irrational completely irrational. If I'm hungry and I need to eat, you know, should I be obsessing about, you know, I, 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 I'm hungry right now and I refuse to eat anything unless it's a, you know, a four-inch thick T-bone steak? No, if you're hungry, you got a dollar, you'll go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger to solve your hunger, right? Because that's a practical solution to your problem. Why would you be obsessing about a four-inch thick T-bone steak, you know, when you only have $2 in your pocket? So that that's part of it. And then the other part of the relationship with money is when you redefine it and when you redefine your economy and your personal life and expenses as being your own personal business and your own personal economy, it puts you in a position of power in relation to the money. So one of the things that I always say is it's not how much money you make that matters. It's what you do with the money you make that matters. Because if the only thing that mattered was how much money you make, then Mike Tyson wouldn't have money problems, okay? 
and an infinite number of celebrities and all these people had millions and millions of dollars who are now cash poor. They had money. They had millions. Did it solve their economic problems? No. They still have their economic problems. They're still challenged. They still have financial challenges. Why? Because they never addressed the real issue, which is the issue of financial literacy. It's not money that I need, I, I like to say, but it's financial literacy. Once I have financial literacy, I can create as much money as I want because, because I would have the power. So let me ask you, let me ask you then, because we're coming um, up toward the top of the hour in, in just a little bit, but so what are, like, if I were to ask you for three practical things, give, just give me three things that, let's say my hypothetical single person, $25,000 a year living in the city can do um, to improve their financial situation, what would, it, what would the top three things be of just practical things that they can implement today? What would they be? The, the, the first thing would be is make a, um, like I said earlier, uh, make a balance sheet. Balance sheet is uh, you just make a T, you draw a T. And on one side, you put your income. On the other side, you put your expenses. And you look at that. Okay, and see, are you spending more than you're making? Okay, you determine that. Are you making a profit or are you functioning at a deficit? Once you know that, that's number one. Number two is decrease your expenses. Live below your means. Live below, economically, financially, live below your means. Spend less, calculatedly surgically spend less than you make. And the third thing would be create an emergency fund. An emergency fund in, in the simple terms would be like this. You take, when you do your, your, uh, your um, income statement, you figure out how much money you need to survive for one month based on your present circumstance. So let's say in order for me to live for a month, I need $1,000. If I need $1,000 to live for a month, I should work towards saving a minimum of three months of my income and save that. I should have in savings three months of income as an emergency resource. And the purpose for that is uh, – has many reasons, but twofold. One is that just in case I lose my job or my income is decreased or whatever, I don't have to panic because I have three months of expenses in storage so that I can regroup. I could, you know, find another job. You know, my cell phone bill, my cell, cell phone's not going to be cut off because I have three months of cell phone bill put aside. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You put that aside. So that gives you a practical economic, it's like you, you, the first thing you do is become your own banker. You want to be your own, you're, you're looking at your life like a business, then become your own banker. Get yourself some reserves and some deposits, depository. You need a depository. 
just like a business needs a depository to handle emergencies, to handle ups and downs, because cash doesn't always flow. Sometimes the cash is not flowing or it flows less or it flows somewhere else. It didn't flow to me. But I have my, you know, I got my reserves. But now the other, and I think even more important aspect of having that it, that uh, emergency fund, that depository, is that it gives you an emotional and psychological security. You feel more secure, more confident because you have some reserves. So you're not subject to the whims of the economy or to your job or to your boss or whatever, or in your business. You may be an entrepreneur. Even if you're an entrepreneur, do the same thing, even if you're in business, because then you're not so subject to the whims of the weather. The weather changes, you're still good. You got three months reserve. You know, just like you said, you know, you want, you know, you want to live indoors, right? You want some air conditioning. Okay. If those are the objectives and you want to have that for a long time, right? You don't right. just want it <laughs> like right now. You want that for a long, long time. So put aside some reserves. That will, re- that will give you some psychological relief, some emotional relief, and you can begin to become sharper mentally and you can become more strategic. It's very difficult to be strategic when I'm emotionally overcome I'm obsessed and I'm desperate. It's difficult to be strategic. At that point, I'm just functioning in instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, you know, whatever. You know, I'm about to go ballistic or postal, you know, because now, now I'm scared. Take away the fear. Do your reserve. I, those are three things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Stephen, that's great advice for everyone, not just my my hypothetical uh, young person with uh, 25K coming in. Um, Tell my audience, if you don't mind, what do you have going on? How can they connect with you? And and what it is that you specifically offer so that they can reach out to you? Yes. Um, My name is Stephen Hutchinson. And I am a licensed financial tracker, and I'm a tax professional, okay? So those titles just mean that I provide certain services, that I solve certain problems. That's all it means. As a licensed financial tracker, I provide people with, um, with affordable coverage, you know, that helps people with tailored solutions to their financial issues. So we help people get the coverage that they need, just like I was talking about that depository. The other aspect of that depository is to have certain types of coverage so that ju- for the just-in-case, because if we, don't, if we don't function with the just-in-case in mind, the just-in-case is what's going to break us. We're getting broke by the just-in-case just happened. I wasn't ready. Being ill-prepared is the worst position a person can be in. It's to not be prepared. So we need to be prepared. So I could provide people with affordable coverage, tailored solutions to their financial issues by providing financial literacy, planning, and preparation. And I'm a tax professional, so we do, we process people's tax returns and help them to understand 
practical financial literacy through their own tax return. So what we do is we use your tax return as not only something, we will do your tax return, you'll have your taxes done expertly and accurately, but we use that as a basis to educate you because that's, that, that's your money. That, that matters. You see, a person has an emotional attachment to their own money, so we use that as a basis for education. And we can be contacted. I could be contacted through my website. My website is powertax.com. That's power tax with two X's. Power, like energy, strong strength. Power tax with two X's.com. And my, my, uh, Email address is powertax at gmail, powertax with two X's at gmail, or I can be reached by uh, cell 610-955-6508, that's 610-955-6508. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Stephen Hutchinson, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barard. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all this wonderful knowledge and experience with us. Guys, I really want you to reach out to Stephen. Uh, he's got so much knowledge to share. He's, he's an educator as well as a financial uh, professional. So make sure that you reach out to him, go to his website, check him out, and learn, because we all need to learn more about how we can define our money, utilize our money, acquire money, increase our money, keep our money, and pass it on. Woo! <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. And feel free to send over some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Again, I'd like to give a big shout-out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on August 24th when my guest will be investment strategist John Kane. You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all. 